Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, I just filmed a practice in pancakes with his team. He is in his 38th season as the head coach of Columbia University Men's Swimming. Today, we are sitting down with Jim Bolster. Oh, Coleman, th- thanks for having me. <laughs> I just filmed practice with you guys, but then, um, it came out and, uh, I got a lot of positive feedback from, and they're like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sit down with Jim because he's a legend. (laughs) I've I've never seen someone on deck like him before. Uh, he's as, as a coach, as an athlete. So here we are, we're, we're talking today. Um, I, I thought you were going to, it's a Friday afternoon. I thought we were going to catch you after a Friday practice, but you gave your guys the de- the, the afternoon off. Yes. In, in order to prepare for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, can, would, would you mind recapping why you decided to, to cancel practice this afternoon? Yeah. Um, I mean, some of it, I think stems from some of the things that we learned from COVID, but I often hear from or you read about division one athletes. I don't know if complain is the right word, but they highlight the fact that, you know, they rarely got to feel what it was like to be a normal college student. And I I pointed out that they weren't normal. They're, they're abnormal. They're exceptional. But today I would let them feel what it's like to be a normal student and have a normal Friday afternoon and do whatever the normal students do. So I gave them the, the afternoon off which I think is awesome. As, as you mentioned to me, it's a beautiful day here in New York. Um, so what a, what a Friday to have off. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a great way to start the weekend. Um, so as I said, you're in your 38th season of Columbia uh, as the head coach at Columbia. Um, first off, just h- how do you keep things fresh? What, what keeps you motivated after doing something for that long? Um, and you're still doing it at a very high level. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think that uh, the main answer is that uh, I could probably sit down with you and go over every year that I've been here and point out to you how we are better than we were the year before. So I think that if we had become stagnant, uh, I wasn't having any fun, the kids weren't getting any better, the program wasn't going anywhere, I probably would have left a long time ago. But, um, you know, I, I pretty much I'm down on the deck. I, I can do what I want to do. I'm running my own show and I get to work with eight new kids, nine new kids every year. So there's different issues, different problems. And whatever they are, I look at them as opportunities for me to become a better coach if I can figure out how to motivate that kid or understand that kid. So it's never dull. <laughs> And I really don't, I mean, I never came here with the idea that I was going to be here a certain number of years. Um, I came here with the idea that this was an opportunity to work with division one athletes and I was going to see what I could do with them, see how good I could make them. And I still have that opportunity. So, um, you know, there's no reason to slow down. Uh, You mentioned working with division one athletes you, you were a division three athlete, a, a really great one. And I would like to, 
get into that in a little bit, but um, before you came to Columbia, you coached at your alma mater, Denison. Uh, you were the head coach there for five years. Is that right? right. Um, so what was the jump like for you from division three to division coaching division one athletes? Well, I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey, and yeah. Princeton at the time had quite a good swim team. A guy by the name of Ross Wales was trying to be the first uh, butterfly to break 50 seconds for uh, 100 yards. He was an Olympian. Uh, their coach was a guy by the name of Bob Clotworthy, who, ironically enough, was an Olympic diver, a medalist <laughs> as, a, as a diver. Um, but he was the head coach, and his diving coach was a guy by the name of um, – Bob Webster, who was also an Olympian. So growing up in Princeton, I had a lot of access to uh, the university's facilities and their contests. So we went to um, a lot of the swim meets. So I was pretty um, familiar with the East Coast, certainly Ivy League swimming, a high level of swimming. Um, in the summers, uh, you know, I swam with the uh, after Clotworthy left. Uh, the next coach was a guy by the name of Bill Farley. And um, we had a lot of really high-end athletes, a guy by the name of John T. Skinner. I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with that. He didn't swim for us, but he swam in the, um, I think with Bill Palmer and uh, Frank Elm in Central Jersey Aquatic Club. So there was a fairly high level of swimming that I got exposed to as I was growing up. So I wasn't really phased by moving from division three to division one. And, you know, if you look at the division three nationals, those kids perform at a pretty high level. I mean, Andrew Wilson, who uh, made the Olympic team swam at Emory. So um, there's some talent at, at the division three level that you get an opportunity to work with. So um, I, I, I don't know. I felt really comfortable coming to the Ivy league. And as I said, you know, having the opportunity to work with division one athletes. So I, I really was not too stressed out about it. So, uh, growing up, you were one of 14, <laughs> uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, were, you, were your parents, what did your parents do? How did, how did you end up in Princeton? Well, my dad actually went to Princeton. Um, he grew up in Williamstown, New Jersey. I mean, excuse me, Williamstown, Massachusetts. And he and his family ran an inn. And um, when the war hit, um, the inn business kind of died out. And so they moved to Pittsfield, Massachusetts, where his dad worked for GE. Um, and he, after high school, he went into the Army. And while he was in the Army, I guess he talked to a couple of people and they talked about, you know, Princeton as being a pretty, well, actually, at the at the inn in Williamstown, when the undergrads would come in, he would often ask them, you know, if you hadn't gone to Williams, where would you have gone? And a lot of them said Princeton. So when he got out of the army, he went down to Princeton to see if he could enroll. And they said, I think they looked at his transcript or something like that. And they, they suggested that he uh, go to the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania for six months of prep. So he did that. And he was then admitted to Princeton. He ran track and field at Princeton. He ran, a, I think, a 155 half mile back in 1950. Um, so he was a pretty good runner. Um, his big claim to fame as a runner was um, Princeton and Cornell in alternating years would go over to Cambridge 
and Oxford and have a track meet against the them. And the first time my dad went, he got to the line for, I think they were running a half mile and the guy next to him was Roger Bannister. <laughs> and I asked him how it went. He said, slowly, <laughs> but he uh, was indebted to Princeton. So the day he graduated, he worked, went to work for Princeton. He started in the uh, Bureau of Student Aid. Then he worked in the admissions office and then he got into development and he was the director of annual giving for, uh, I think, 37 years at wow. Princeton. And my mom was, um, she went to Smith and she was a big athlete at Smith. She played field hockey, uh, I think basketball and lacrosse and after 14 kids, <laughs> she decided to take up triathlons and she did triathlons for probably the next 35 years. I think the last one she did, she may have been 75, 80 years old. Um, so, you know, my parents were pretty good athletes, were very physical, very active. And I think they just passed that down or they certainly encouraged um their offspring to participate in whatever they wanted to. And we did, you know, I can remember Saturdays doing ice hockey and wrestling and basketball. Uh, you know, they let us do everything. And Princeton university at the time, we could use their facilities for free. We just walk in and wow. sneak in sometimes, uh, <laughs> but you know, they were great venues for the 14 of us to go do whatever we wanted. And some ran track, some swam, uh, some played basketball, some played uh, soccer, lacrosse, field hockey. I mean, we did a wide range of events. No skiing. No uh, skiing. That, that was the one that we didn't take on. But other than that, we had access uh, and opportunities to at least dabble in just about everything. So I think that that's where, um, you know, a lot of us got our origins. I feel like it might've been almost easier with that many. It seems like you just could have made your own teams or your, your own team with the, with the 14 of you. Well, we used to drive my dad nuts because uh, he'd try to keep a lawn and we had basically <laughs> permanently etched in the yard that grass never grew. It was always dirt, you know, from sliding or holding the base down. And we used to, you know, we used to have all kinds of leagues long before the fantasy leagues. Uh, we had our own stuff and we made, you know, fences in the backyard were home run destinations. I mean, we, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> and of course I had with seven brothers and six sisters, we could, I could field a team in just about anything. <laughs> no <And> kidding. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so that's awesome. That's, that sounds like a great environment to grow up in. And so you end up, you know, uh, one way or another, you end up gravitating towards lacrosse, soccer, and swimming. Uh, so how do you end up at Denison in Ohio? Well, um, my oldest brother went there. And when he signed on to go, I'd never heard of the school. Um, but when I was a senior in high school, me and three or four others of my good friends from Princeton High School, we all went out to visit him. And that was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. So I was, what, 17 years old. We flew out there. And in my house growing up, we didn't have a TV until I was, I don't know, 15, I think. But we weren't allowed to watch it during the weeknights. And at that time, 
you know, Monday night football had started. And I guess we, we were visiting him on a Monday night and we sat down to watch the game. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is, you can do this in college. <laughs> <laughs> so then he took us to a class um, and the, the class was, uh, they were studying accents. And the day that we happened to be there, they were going over the French accent. And so the teacher had everybody in the class recite this line that was, he hit the ball with all his strength. And we had to say it in a French accent. And the four of us were sitting there with my brother and the teacher called on us. And I gave each one of us the opportunity to say, he hit the ball with all his strength. <laughs> oh, I thought that was pretty cool too. So, um, I, you know, I've, I, I, I just decided that that would be, a, you know, a really cool place to go. And I ended up going there and the four other guys that were with me on the trip all went there as well. So it was, a, it was a good, good decision for us. Good unofficial, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. And so, so, I'm, so um, to give some context to our listeners, you went to Denison, <laughs> you were an NCAA <laughs> division three champion in the tuner fly six time, all American, you were a four year letter winner in lacrosse, soccer, and swimming. So you, you, you got 12 letters. <laughs> um, so what was, you know, I think in today's collegiate landscape, that might be more unheard of or, or certainly more uncommon. Um, back then, was, was that a thing that a lot of people did or were you unique in that regard? Uh, I think that was probably unique in that regard. I mean, there, there, there were a couple other guys at Denison who did two sports. Hmm. There really wasn't anybody who did three. And I, I would say, you know, in the late 60s early 70s that became less and less of an option but sometimes at division one you there was a guy who might play football and baseball mm -hmm. uh, but three sports was kind of unheard of and you, you you really couldn't probably have done that at a division one school but at the time we were still uh in a world where you weren't at age four forced to specialize in something that was supposedly going to determine what you did for the rest of your life, there were seasons to everything. So kids were encouraged to play a sport in the fall, do something in the winter, do something in the spring. And, you know, I did that throughout my life. So when I got to college, I thought, well, why stop? <laughs> so I, I did all three. I don't know if I ever had a, a day off in the um, four years that I was there, because as soon as one sport ended, you know, I, I had to get started in the other one. Um, so I, I was pretty busy, but yeah, I, I enjoyed every minute. I mean, I never thought, oh man, why am I doing this? This is a drag. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Do, do you feel like they complemented each other? Do you feel, you know, you feel like soccer helped swimming, helped lacrosse? <laughs> well, here's what I would tell you is that, you know, I never was not fit or in shape. So even though. I'd been swimming when I would join the lacrosse team. I usually, they were into their spring trip. So they'd had four or five games under their belt. And whenever I started practicing with them, you know, any sort of running that we did, I usually was first. So 
I figured that, you know, some of my skill sets are probably going to lag a little bit because they've been playing since February. But if I was fit and could outrun them, I'm, you know, that's where I could make my mark. So I think the soccer and the lacrosse uh, complemented each other a little bit more than the swimming. But, um, you know, I certainly fit coming from the pool might take me a day or two to kind of get my legs under me, but you know, cardiovascularly, that was, that was never an issue. So that really helped me as I transitioned from one sport to the other. Did did that take a lot of finagling or lobbying on your part to, with the coaches to let you do that? Or were they all pretty like, yeah, give it a shot. (laughs) It just so happened that the fellow who was the, my soccer coach was also my swim coach. So (laughs) he was joining the team at the same time I was. So he had no way, but to let me. And then, uh, you know, the lacrosse coach, I think he just recognized that maybe I had, um, you know, I had good legs, strong legs. And that's a, that's a real asset in a sport like lacrosse. So, um, you know, I, I could run and you could put the ball in my stick and I could, you know, I could get up field with it and get it to the people that were going to score or whatever. But, um, you know, I think that he saw that I had a, a level of athleticism that might be a little bit beyond a lot of his players and that he could, you know, he could trust putting the ball in my stick and trying to advance it, you know, across midfield or whatever we needed to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so did, did you, did you have a favorite or did you have a favorite season? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, winning a division three national title was, was pretty cool. Um, that was something that I, you know, after my sophomore year, that's, uh, my, my sophomore year was the first year that they had the split where they had division one, two, and three. It used to be just one and two. And, okay. uh, so the first year they had, it was an Allegheny college. And I went out to that and competed. And I think I got, uh, seventh and 12th or something like that. But, I, I knew that I was going to be going back to Princeton that summer and swimming with Princeton Aquatic Association, Bill Farley and all the Princeton guys. And I just thought, wow, you know, what? I think I could win this meet next year. So that's kind of uh, laid the groundwork, I guess, that that summer. And sure enough, uh, my junior year, senior year didn't go quite as well. Um, I went faster, but there was a guy, Nino Duccini from Occidental College, who went like four seconds faster. So, um, but that was, that was a pretty cool experience. Um, and in soccer, my, I think it was my sophomore year, we played in the NCAA tournament. Um, that was the only time that we made that in my four years. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I scored a goal, I think that day, and it was snowing. It was a snowstorm. We were playing Mount Union College and uh, that was kind of fun. And Lacrosse, we never, we, we never made the NCAA tournament while I was there. Um, and l- lacrosse was probably the toughest sport of the three for me, but just because they would start practice in January and I, I wouldn't join the team until uh, late March. So I was, you know, pretty far behind. And that's a, that's a highly skilled game. And I just, I didn't start it soon enough in my youth to have a lot of the um, skills that some of the other kids had in terms of stick handling, uh, mm. but I could run and I could dodge. Uh, and so those were the things that kind of helped me in that sport. 
I, I know you mentioned before you never questioned whether, you know, why am I doing this? But did you ever consider specializing and, and going to one or to two? No, I, I can't say that I did. Um, you know, looking back on it, I mean, I, I probably had the most success at uh, swimming, but, you know, I did have an opportunity um, when I was a senior we were on a training trip down in Miami, Florida, and I got a phone call from the Connecticut Bicentennials of the North American Soccer League and saying that I was their number one draft pick and, you know, they wanted me to come play professional soccer. So at the time, the league was was pretty new and you, there was a rule that you had to have eight North Americans on your team. And sometimes I feel like I was filling that role more than anything else. But soccer's, you know, I don't know. It might have been my favorite of, of the three. It's a pretty cool sport. And, um, you know, if, if I look back on anything. But at the time, you know, when I was growing up, you really couldn't specialize. Mm. There weren't programs that went year round. I don't know what I would have done had I had that opportunity or at least when I, where I was growing up, there were, you know, as soon as one season ended another sport started and the others didn't, didn't continue like they do now. So, you know, soccer might've been the one that would have, could have had the most promise. I mean, there, there wasn't professional lacrosse or professional swimming at the time. I, I don't think I would have opted for either one of those, but the soccer was, that experience was, was pretty cool. And um, you know, Pele, who arguably the greatest player of all time, uh, was in the league. Franz Beckenbauer, uh, a German stopper, was in. I mean, all the best players in the world, as they were sort of supposedly past their prime in Europe, they would come get these incredible contra contracts in the U.S. and play for these U.S. teams. So it was pretty cool to, to see all these guys and to kind of rub elbows with them. But I never never actually played a game for the Bicentennials. We, we were terrible. Um, when I joined the team, I think they were one in 12 and in last place. And at the end of the year, they were bought out by a group in Edmonton. So um, for me, it was a cool experience because I never played soccer like that or at that level. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I was, a, I was a quota. I, I was fulfilling the eight North Americans um, Canadians and, and U.S. citizens counted. So that's kind of what the experience was about. But I, I played in the summer of 77 and I really had a blast. Yeah. I mean, what do you feel like you took away from that experience? I mean, it, aside from the fact that you just get to call yourself, you know, say I was a professional athlete, uh, you know, I played soccer professionally. Yeah. I mean, I don't, um, I mean, I, I sort of parlayed that into a coaching job. I that at the end of that season, I moved down to Washington D.C. and was the assistant soccer coach at George Mason University. So it you know it led directly to employment, and um, you know I certainly learned a lot of stuff. I mean, I it was soccer at a level I had never seen before. So you know I was sort of like a sponge. I was learning stuff left and right, and so I was able to take a lot of that stuff to George Mason. 
Um, so it, it, it helped in that regard. And um, it, but I, I, I guess I didn't, I don't know. I, I, I had an NCA postgraduate scholarship that I had to use that next year. So I kind of had to get out of coaching. I had to, I ended up going to the university of Michigan. Um, but I needed to, if I wanted to use this postgraduate scholarship, I had to use it in the fall of 78. So, you know, I stopped playing soccer and moved out to Ann Arbor and was in this program in uh, higher education administration. And so you had played professional soccer, you had coached soccer, then you go get your master's. And then how'd you end up back on the pool deck as a coach? Well, um, while I was at Michigan, um, it was actually a PhD program and I, I didn't like it at all. (laughs) I found out that I could get out after the master's would only be two years. So the summer after my first year, I think it was the summer of, um, 79, I, um, was home painting houses, just trying to make enough money to go back and finish the degree. And while I was at home, Denison university, my alma mater, um, called and said that there was a position in the Dean's office, uh, for an assistant to the assistant deans. And, and would I be interested? And I, I called Michigan immediately and said, you know, can I get credit for this? <laughs> Cause I didn't want to have to go back to school, but they said, no, but we think it would be, you know, really good experience for you. So I thought about it. And as I was thinking about it, the fellow who had been my soccer coach and swim coach, a guy by the name of Ted Barkley had become the AD. And he and I used to joke about when I played for him that, you know, if he ever became the AD, he would hire me as as his, his swim coach. <laughs> so sure enough, he became the AD. He got on the phone. He called me and said, you know, would you be interested in this? And, you know, I told him that I was also interviewing this for this position in the Dean's office. And so they, they combined the two and they, they ended up offering me the job. Um, I took them. And uh, so at age 23, I was the head coach of the men's swim team at Denison university, never had been mentored by any, never been a, well, I I guess I was an assistant coach uh, in soccer, but um, he said, here you go, do what you want. He just kind of, you know, left me alone. And it was a great experience. I I really uh, had a blast. I was very familiar with the program. And I think the, the kids who were seniors had been freshmen when I was a senior. So I knew a little bit of the team and I, you know, I, I just knew the talent level or I, I, I knew the talent level when I was there and I felt like there was no reason why we couldn't be that talented, if not more. So he, she said, here you go. And he, he did his AD thing and he let me do whatever I wanted to do uh, as the coach. Uh, and I got, I mean, I got $3,000 for it and uh, but Loved every minute of it. Um, at the end of that year, I, I got, I think, $7,000 and a housing stipend for being in the dean's office. And the end of that first year, they were trying to hire somebody to be an actual dean of students. And the person they hired 
said that, you know, they didn't want me doing two things. They I, I either be the swim coach or be in the Dean's office. And, uh, you know, I took the swim coach. <laughs> so, uh, but I came back that second year again for only $3,000. $3,000 for, uh, for how, for how long? Oh, I was head coach for September to, I don't know, May or whatever it was that the, <laughs> so, uh, $3,000 so for, for, for yeah. a whole school year. Yeah. 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 I mean, <sighs> I'd never been paid to do anything before. So I was, was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then that at the end of that year, uh, there was a position open in the athletic department as the director of intramurals and recreation. So I got that along with the swim coaching, but that was, they paid like 16 for that. The swimming stayed at 3000 for the whole five, the whole five years that I was there. I, wow. I guess it was considered part-time, but um, in conjunction with the position in the, as the director of intramurals and recreation, I think when I left, I was making 19.5. All right. So <laughs> that was a huge chunk of change for me. Yeah, no kidding. So, so in those five years, it's your first five years of coaching swimming ever. Uh, you're 23 to 28 years old. What, I mean, what are, what are the big lessons you learned from, from that, from being on deck for the first time as a coach? Yeah, well, I'll tell you the, the very first lesson I learned is that it's rare that you will coach someone who does things the same way you did them and you know there were guys who in my estimation didn't work that hard but they swam as fast if not faster than I ever swam so I had to figure something out that either I was going to drive myself nuts trying to make all these kids like I was or figure out what made them tick what was it about their approach to the sport, their approach to life. Um, what, what did they want out of the sport? Um, and once I, you know, figure all that out, it was, it was a lot easier um, in that I, you know, I was happier. I mean, I, I guess there were, you know, if kids weren't at practice, it made me unhappy. And I had to figure out a way that I was going to, be happy. And sometimes it meant that I dismissed them from the team. Other times, uh, you know, I, I just figured out, okay, well, even though I may not think he's working hard, he may think that he is. And if he thinks that maybe that's all he needs, if he's going to swim this fast at the end of the year. So, you know, I, I, I sort of learned that it was more of a two-way street than I thought it was that, um, Yes, I could have energy. I could be there every day. I could give them great workouts. But if they didn't think they could swim that fast, if they didn't want to, you know, they probably weren't going to get there. So the sooner I sort of figured that out, um, I, I was able to be a little bit easier on myself and, and understand the performance levels that we had and figure out who the kids that I could get to go way beyond where they thought they could go and who were kids that were, you know, they were only going to get me. So give me so much. They were capable of, of more than that. So 
you know, once I figured all that out, it got, uh, I mean, it's never been easy, but, you know, it became a lot more enjoyable for me. And I, I could, you know, sort of have a better prediction of success rates than maybe I thought when I first started. I mean, you know, I thought I could make everybody um, an All-American. <laughs> and I thought we could win a national championship within five years. We got close, but it took another 30 years or something like that before Denison won. But they, they got it. They've got a couple now. <laughs> That I feel like a lot of coaches, I, I hope a lot of coaches hear that, uh, because it seems like a, a good lesson to learn and something that, uh, it seems like people learn the hard way or, or, or maybe never learn. Yeah. Um, so, so you're five years at Denison, you go to Columbia. Let's, let's talk about how you stay active now. I mean, I, I go to practice on, on last Friday and you come in in full cycle attire. You rode your bike there. You, you left and, and hit the road after the practice. Um, so once you, once you started coaching and, you know, stopped your athletic or stopped athletics as, as the main part of your life, um, what intrigued you? How, how did you stay fit or how did you stay engaged with athletics or competition? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I, I think about a lot is that, you know, people accept aging as, I mean, we all age, there's no question about that. But I felt like if I could do something at a pretty high level at age 21, why, why couldn't I do it? at age 22, 23, 24, 25, whatever. I mean, I, I felt like just because I might be working or my priorities had changed a little bit, I, I didn't feel like there was any physical difference between myself when I was 18 and when I was 35 um, or even, even now. I mean, I still feel like I could, I mean, I don't think I can or I'm going to try, but I, you know, there's... <clears throat> Other than the fact that I'm 66, um, I, I can't tell you that, you know, I, I can't do something that I was able to do 30 years ago. So that's always been something that I guess I've, I've thought about, you know, why when you're 80, should you not be able to get into a cab and go somewhere and enjoy a artwork or a movie or whatever and or, or travel. And so I felt like, you know, those were, if, if I wanted to do all those things later in life, it would be really important to keep myself fit so that I could do all of them and enjoy them. And it happened to be that when I was at Denison, um, there was a, a, a gas shortage, pretty serious gas shortage in the country. And there were incredible uh, lines for gas. And I was coaching uh, a club team along with the, the team at Denison. And it, it was about eight miles away. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to save gas. I'm not going to sit in all these lines waiting for gas. I'll buy a bike. So I, I bought a bicycle and I started riding to and from the practices. And just about this time, the you know, the triathlon scene kind of exploded and, you know, I was, I'd, I'd ride to the practice. I'd, I'd get there early. 
So I'd swim before the kids got in, or sometimes I'd swim the warm up with the kids. Um, and I, uh, you know, then I would, I was end up, I was riding about 16 miles a day. I'd ride eight miles through the practice and eight miles back. How long is it eight mile? How, how long did that eight mile ride take? Uh, you know, back then, probably half an hour or something like that. I mean, 20 minutes. I don't know. I didn't, uh, I, don't, I don't remember. I mean, I didn't know that much about cycling other than I enjoyed it. And okay. so, you know, I was doing about 16 miles a day. And then that summer, the, the Y that we used, they had a triathlon. So I entered it and, um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing, but the, the swim was like 1500 meters or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that went well. Um, and then I got on the bike and for, I don't remember how long the bike was, but let's say it was 20 miles or something. Like that. Well, for about 18 of it, I was leading. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was riding as hard as I could sneakers, the works. And towards the end, some guy blows by me and I don't see him again. And he's all decked out. He's got a great looking bike. He's got all the gear and I thought, okay, well, I I can see why that's happening. But I ended up getting into the transition to get on the run. No one else had passed me, so I was in second place. And I remember the first half mile, I was saying to myself, what the hell am I doing out here? This is is horrible. The transition from the bike to the run, I'd never done anything like that before. And, you know, my legs felt like they weren't going to carry me another half mile. But I thought, well, you know, I'll hang in there, see if it gets any better. And shortly it started to get better. And then I saw this guy who had passed me on the bike. And I came upon him and I said to him, I said, look, you know, this has been a pretty cool experience. I don't know what you think. How about we just, we finish together. And he said, yeah, all right. So we started, we just started talking and we stayed together. And as we got towards the finish, he started talking about, uh, a trip to Hawaii for the winter. And he, he kind of sped up a little bit. And I thought, Oh, wait a minute now, you know, I, I feel like I probably did you a favor when I caught you on the run just to hang with you. And now all of a sudden we're 200 yards from the finish and you're going to sprint by me. So I picked it up and w- went by him and ended up winning the race. And it turns out that, he was telling me that his girlfriend had promised him a trip to Hawaii if he won the race. Well, I didn't, I didn't catch all of that. I just thought the winner gets a trip to Hawaii. So, um, but that was my first triathlon and I, you know, I enjoyed them. So I did them for another, uh, probably 15, 20 years. And, you know, that was a great way to, uh, stay in shape. And when I moved to New York city, um, I, I live about three miles from the campus and to take public transportation would probably take an hour to get there. And, you know, I have to leave the house at four 30 in the morning, but I could run or ride a bike to three miles. So I started doing that. Um, the three miles in terms of a bike, that's not much, but, you know, running three miles over and three miles back at the end of the day, six miles a day. Uh, so that, you know, was good. And I've I've never really had a job where I haven't been able to use some form of exercise 
to get to work as opposed to having to drive or take public transportation. So that's one of the things that's been really nice about where I live. I can enter Central Park and run through the park or ride through the park to get to, to work. So it's a, you know, it's a very pleasant commute for me and it's physical. So that's even better. Do you have a car? I do have a car. Yes. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> um, so what, what was the transition like from, you know, team sports kind of pretty engaging sports physically in terms of, you know, a lot of coordination with soccer, with lacrosse, I guess, swimming to a degree. And then, um, triathlons, you know, it's just, you have so much time, so much time in your head, uh, where you're just going, um, what, you know, how, how did, how did that go for you in, in terms of transitioning to that and doing it for so long? Well, I think my background as a swimmer probably was the key mm-hmm. there. I mean, swimming is a pretty challenging sport, as you well know, mentally as well as physically. And the the mental component of a triathlon is, you know, you really got to you've got to dial in. You've got to figure things out. And um, having been a swimmer and following that black line and doing all those, <laughs> those workouts, uh, you know, it was I think incredible preparation for um, being a, a triathlete. So, you know, riding a bike for two or three hours, or whatever was not as challenging for me as it might be for somebody else, because I'd spent so much of my life in a pool with my head down, not hearing anything following a black line for, you know, four hours a day. So that was, um, you know, it was pretty easy transition for me and having done the other sports running uh for soccer and and lacrosse i had you know i had a decent running background in that i I really wasn't a distance runner but you know running was not a hard thing for me to do i mean it was that first time i got off the bike on the first race but you know after that you kind of got used to it so i think being a, a, a decent athlete throughout my life helped me with the transition um even though athleticism isn't the the number one uh requirement to be a good triathlete i think being a good swimmer really is um but uh, i had enough of a background that in those other sports that it helped me with uh, you know getting acclimated to a bike and and running so so you're doing these triathlons and as you said before you know if I'm, if I'm 22 and can achieve at a high level, why can't I do it at 35 or, or 40 or whatever, which I, I love that mindset. I, I think, I, I feel like I have a similar mindset of like, you know, why, and like you said, if, if you want to do things like travel, like go up the stairs, go see a movie in your older age, you know, it's important to stay fit, which I relate to as well. I just, I just, I, I have a similar mindset. I'm not, I don't think I'm that old, but my question is that, um, why, what, like what, what, what may, what, what did you want to accomplish by still competing? Cause that's where I fall off. That's where I'm like, I don't have me personally. I don't have anything to prove. I, I don't want to achieve these athletic things at a high level because, cause I did that and, and I got over it. What, what kept you going, um, in competition? Uh, well, I, I think that I, I mean, 
I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I, I, I want to know what the human body is capable of. I have no interest in climbing Mount Everest, yet I would love to, I think, be at 28,000 feet to feel what that is doing to my body. And is that something that I could tolerate or not? So I'm, I'm interested in the, the limits. What's my potential? So when I swam, you know, I don't, I don't think I had the potential to be a 143, 200 butterflyer, but I felt like I had the potential to win a division three title and, you know, go as fast as I did. So those are the things that I feel like I'm focusing on. I'm not really worried about what somebody else is doing. I'm trying to figure out what my body's capable of. Could, could I ride a bike at 25 miles an hour? There's some people who ride it at 32 miles an hour. Well, you know, okay, I'll, I'll see very quickly. That, <laughs> Holy shit. That's, that's, I don't have that, but maybe I could ride it at 25, 26 miles an hour. So I've always been intrigued by um, my limits. What, what is my body capable? What, what, what am I capable of doing? Sort of figuring that out and then trying to achieve it. So I never really swam after college. I, I didn't, you know, the sport's really hard. <laughs> and I felt like I probably had tapped out uh, my talent level and it was time to you know, try something new. And, you know, after a while with the triathlons, they got to be, you know, really gear heavy. You had to have all kinds of equipment and that really turned me off. I figured the best engine was whatever was in your heart, not having the ability to spend $3,000 on a set of wheels. Um, so, you know, I got into cycling, um, bike racing and that, that was a lot of fun. And I think the, you know, probably the best experience I had there was uh, in 2007, I went over with a couple of guys and we rode uh, five stages of the Tour de France. And, you know, they were all climbing. They were all the mountain stages. And it was just, you know, fascinating to, to be out there and see how fast you were climbing and realizing, no, these guys might be climbing it eight miles an hour faster than you, but they had some help. <laughs> no question mm -hmm. about that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I have, I have slowed down, um, considering I haven't competed in a long time. So now I, I just try to exercise for the, the value of it, uh, in terms of health, but also, you know, the way it makes me feel, I enjoy, um, the endorphins or whatever get going when you, when you exercise. So, um, and it's outside. It's 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 invigorating. So I, I I find that that that's really helpful to my day and keeping my energy up. Yeah. So and I feel like this is a perfect segue. I'm really curious. Your your wife Sharon Rose Kelly is an exercise physiologist, and I'm really curious about how you guys bond over athletics and um, what what is the dynamic like between you and your wife in terms of how you guys talk about athletics. Yeah. Well, she's uh, one of 12. So right. <laughs> she's from a big family. Um, she has nine or eight sisters. So it's, it's, it's female dominated. Um, but Sharon was a volleyball player. Um, she played collegiately on a scholarship and we met 
doing triathlons. Um, I gave her a ride to um, the first triathlon that we did together. Uh, she sat in the back seat. I sat in the front seat and I had my window down. So the wind, I guess, was blowing her hair. And, you know, she thought, man, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> but the next day, you know, after the race, I saw her and I asked her how she finished and what she thought of it. And I think she kind of changed her tune a little bit of that, you know, maybe this guy isn't so bad. Um, so we struck up uh, a friendship then. And she, you know, she didn't have too much of a swimming background, although she was a lifeguard and swam a lot. She, she'd never been a competitive swimmer. Um, but as an exercise physiologist, she certainly knew a lot about exercise and she ran mostly, but was interested in getting into triathlon. So, um, we started to go out on bike rides together and she, uh, she, you know, she took a real interest in, uh, massage. She, she was an exercise physiologist at, at the start. Uh, and five years into that, she was interested in, uh, massage therapy. So she got a degree in that. And I was a good, uh, <laughs> sample for her. So she did a lot of work on me. Now we haven't, she hasn't worked on me in a while. Um, but you know, when we were first going out and first married, we were both racing a fair amount. And, um, you know, I would try probably without a lot of success to give her a massage. And then she would, you know, she was very good at giving me, um, massage. Uh, and it really, I mean, it was, it was a huge part of my recovery and really played a, a key role in my ability to race as long as I did. And, you know, sort of at the level that I raced. So, um, she's a, she's a, she's from Nebraska. So she's a huge Nebraska football fan. Um, so she knows a lot about sports and that that's, you know, that's something that we, um, can connect a lot on. So, um, you know, Saturday afternoons, we have to sort of set aside a time to watch I me mean, now that you have, all the networks you can you can watch Nebraska every every weekend, um, so yeah, we, there are a lot of things uh, that we we're able to bond over. That's that, that's really cool uh, to have have a partner who's also just as athletically inclined as you. Yeah. <laughs> seems 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 pretty fun. Uh, well, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time to to sit down and discuss your athletic history with us today. It's, it's pretty fascinating. I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about it. Well, Coleman, I thank you. We, we had a lot of fun at that, at that pancake stuff. And I've actually, you know, I've watched a lot of your work and I, I really think that you uh, have a really nice vibe and it's a, it's a really refreshing flavor to your work. So I hope that um, you can continue on and uh, hopefully our, our paths may cross again. But thank you. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.